Welcome to Now on Netflix, all reality edition. This week, we're going to be exploring the spectrum of topics from abduction and police incompetence in Northern California to love on an African safari. I'm Jessica Shaw from Sirius XM, as always, here with Tudum.com executive editor Henry Goldblatt. A little bit later, we're going to be joined by a docs and docuseries expert from Tudum, Amanda Richards. But first, hi, Henry. Hi, Jessica. It's so good to see you. What absolutely fascinating and incredibly different series we're talking about this week. We're going to talk about American Nightmare a little bit later. Let's start with Love on the Spectrum Season 2, which is out tomorrow. Love on the Spectrum, of course, is an Emmy-winning reality series about a very diverse group of people on the autism spectrum and how they navigate their dating and love lives. I am absolutely in love with this series. Jessica, I was so charmed by this series. And there were a couple people in particular that just stood out to me. One was a guy named Tanner, who is 24 and from Clemson, South Carolina, and has one of the best spirits I have ever seen on a human being in my entire life and is so eager and kind and upbeat. And he goes on a few dates with a woman named Kate. And they're so clearly smitten with one another. And like their scenes just warmed my heart completely. I found myself more invested in their date going well than I was in my own marriage. Is that bad? 100% agree. I was like, I want to live in that relationship, not necessarily in my own. That's really funny. Jessica, the other one I was completely charmed by was a guy named Connor, who is 24 and lives with his mom in Georgia. The dynamic between him and his mom is so lovely and loving, and she's so supportive of him and encouraging of him and helps rehearse phone conversations with him before he's either asking somebody out or before he has to let somebody down gently. I actually wrote down a quote that he said on one of his dates because he's talking about a Netflix show and I loved it so much. Jessica, it's the same quote that I wrote down. Yes, Ah. it is the highlight of the show. Take it away. By the way, Netflix hire him. He is like your marketing guru. He says, there's this show on Netflix called The Dragon Prince. It's like if Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones had a baby, while at the same time, how to train your dragon and Avatar The Last Airbender had a baby, and by some miracle those two babies met, the show would be their baby. It's one of the most brilliant quotes I've heard in forever, and one that's going to stick with me, and I love how his mind works, and his date was certainly captivated by that description. We also get to follow a young woman named Abby, who's 24 years old, lives in Los Angeles with her mom, and she gets to take this trip of a lifetime with her boyfriend, David, who she's been with for two years, and they get to go on a safari in Africa, And it's so incredibly moving watching their dreams come true, both as individuals and also as a couple. I was captivated by this woman, Danny, who also lives in Los Angeles, who is 28 going on like 45 and is very clear that she wants a man who is successful, well-groomed. And puts out. And puts out. She has these very frank talks about sexuality. She is a star. She is fascinating. And you're really rooting for her. She has very specific guidelines for a partner. And they better be real into animation. They better be real into animation and real into putting out, as you say. And she asks one of her dates in this awkward slash touching slash funny scene if she could give him a big kiss. And he is clearly not ready to go down that road at this point. And 
starts hemming and hawing, and then out of her large purse, she whips out the biggest Hershey kiss I've ever seen in my life. It's a great moment. It's a rehearsed moment that she rehearses with a friend of hers ahead of time, and it's very sweet. Henry, there's something that stopped me from watching the first season of this show when it came out, because I was worried, is this going to be condescending towards people on the autism spectrum? Is this going to be uncomfortable to watch because the filmmakers have a perception of what people on the spectrum are like. And I was so pleasantly surprised to watch season two and then to go back, frankly, and watch season one because I feel like I need to see these people more. I want to see how this story began. There's just so much respect in the way the filmmakers treat the subjects of this series. Jessica, you and I watch a lot of shows and movies for this podcast, and some of them I dive into wholeheartedly and I'm super psyched to watch, and others I like put off because I'm afraid it's going to feel like homework, and this was one of those shows, and I couldn't have been more wrong, and I agree with you. I think I was afraid that it would feel exploitative or these people were taking advantage of and not in on the show because they may not have been able to fully provide their consent. But it's a captivating, charming, and interesting show and a very intimate show. It actually reminds me of a show on Showtime called Couples Therapy that was a very intimate look at people's couples therapy sessions. And not that this is that, but the intimacy and the closeness to the subjects reminded me of that if you happen to be a fan of that Showtime series. I think what you said is so spot on that the fear is that these people will be exploited. And that is never the case. Quite the opposite. Dating is hard. Dating is hard wherever you fall on a spectrum of anything, be it gender, sexuality, autism, anything. Dating is hard. And yet it's so wonderful and rewarding to watch when it goes well. Another person that stood out to me was Journey, who is 18 years old, a lesbian. Her sister helps her get ready for her first date. She is diagnosed with a relatively recently before this series begins. So she's just kind of figuring things out. She's grateful to have gotten a diagnosis because, as she says, she feels like, why was she experiencing life in a different way than her peers? And I love watching her go on the date. We won't spoil of how the date goes, but it's so wonderful to see someone be who she is in all of her glory. I agree, Jessica. And the thing that she taught me in particular and some of these other daters did as well is you're reminded that autism really is a spectrum in terms of these people's cognitive abilities, their ability to understand social cues, their ability to live alone in some cases or have to live with family in other cases, and how they approach the world. Seeing all these different stories over the course of a bunch of episodes like really amplified that contrast, and I found it really interesting and um, made me learn something. Jessica, there's one more element of this show that I'm obsessed with, and that is the dating coach, Jennifer Cook, who has scenes with some of these people as they prepare to go on dates. And what I love about her so much, she is also on the autism spectrum. Like, I want her as my therapist. Her coaching methods are so genuine. Tanner assumes that he should always stand in front of a woman to be protective and help lead her. And the coach gently says, actually, well, let's enact that. And Tanner then realizes, well, oh, no, I can't have a conversation with her if I'm standing in front of her. And we mentioned Danny, who is like, pardon the expression, she is DTF. And she really is looking for some intimacy. And this coach goes through with her how to ask her potential partner if he is ready for intimacy as well. And she's a star. I want her on her own series. 
Oh, 100%. Listen, you and I have both been on plenty of dates in our time, and I can say that Jennifer should have been advising a lot of people that I went on dates with, because when you're on a date, you don't have to always talk. It's really important to ask the person you're on the date with questions. Ask them what they think. And I was thinking to myself, can my entire dating history please go to Jennifer retroactively? And to watch the light bulbs go off with some of these people on the spectrum when she makes a point like that, like, oh, ask them what they think. And Tana was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. It's so sweet and moving. And as I said, um, Jennifer, if you're out there, I want you as my therapist. And you can see in real time on the date, you can almost see his mind working and going back to what Jennifer said and saying to himself, okay, do this thing that I learned now. It's wonderful. It's also so interesting the way different families approach autism and having a family member on the autism spectrum. And it was really moving and really inspiring to me. As you said, Connor's mom, I thought was amazing. I loved seeing Journey's sister and her parents. Abby's mother is so invested. I was so moved by Tanner's mother. I mentioned Tanner earlier as the 24-year-old who lives in South Carolina. And his mother said, listen, I've been on a journey. Like I was trying to push him and push him the first 10 years after this diagnosis to be somebody that he wasn't. And then the moment I stopped pushing him, he flourished and became the man that he's supposed to be. What a lovely, upbeat, generous man he is. Yes, absolutely. And there's never a moment of everything is perfect and isn't this all just great and I have no challenges. It's honest in the way that we all have challenges in life and my challenges might be different than yours and your challenges might be different than someone on this series but it is respectful and moving and I absolutely loved love on the spectrum so much so that I did go back and watch season one which is also great but season two is out tomorrow Now I want to bring in Amanda Richards, the Tudum.com editor for Docs and DocuSeries, to talk about American Nightmare, which is out now, this fascinating three-part docuseries. Amanda, tell us about this show, which is truly stranger than fiction. It really is. It's a really wild story. It's about a couple named Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn. And essentially, they wake up one night to a home invasion. Denise is kidnapped. And 48 hours later, she comes back. She has a story about her kidnapping that is almost impossible to believe. But at the same time as she's gone, Aaron has become a suspect because he's the last one to see her. So the police are investigating him. Intense interrogation happens in 48 hours. And then she returns. Usually with these kidnapping stories, when the person returns, that's like, wow, this is the end of the story. That's like sort of just the beginning for Denise and Aaron. And it's a wild ride. Amanda, a lot of people have made comparisons of this documentary to the 2012 novel Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. And why are they making these comparisons? It's so interesting. So in that story, Gone Girl, Rosamund Pike, disappears and turns out in an act of revenge, she faked her own kidnapping to get back at Ben Affleck, her husband. But it was a really nice narrative for police in the true story of Denise and Aaron when she came back to go down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out why she or both of them had set this up and created this 
elaborate hoax. It gave it a nice media angle. It became a story in and of itself, even though it couldn't have been farther from the truth. It's so interesting because when this series begins, you see Aaron telling his story about what happened, and it truly sounds difficult to believe. He's talking about goggles that are covered. He's talking about these flashing lights and a drink concoction that he's asked to drink. And you're listening to it. And as a viewer, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is so absurd and over the top. Why does he even think that anyone is going to believe it? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I had a chance to talk to Denise and Aaron. And he is the first person to say, I did not expect the police to believe me. I knew that I would be a suspect. I was the last one with her. I knew it sounded completely insane. But I figured that eventually the evidence would prove that I didn't do it. And of course, that's not what happened. It's also interesting the police suspected him because he both worked with Denise and who's working with his ex-girlfriend as well. And there was some concerns about whether he was still interested in the ex-girlfriend and whether they were trying to get back together. And in fact, when the kidnappers come in, they realize that Denise is there and they're actually there for the ex-girlfriend. So it adds this extra romantic triangle twist as well. Law enforcement at that time, the people that were working on that case, really wanted to follow that for a lot of complicated reasons. But that idea of this sordid love triangle that culminates in an elaborate kidnapping hoax. It's very sexy compared to the reality, which is that Denise and Aaron were being traumatized. Denise by her kidnapper and Aaron by his experience with law enforcement. And I think the ex-girlfriend presence in the story, if you're watching the doc and you're like, wait, what? What does she have to do with it? I think it's important to know that even to this day, Denise and Aaron are like, we don't have any answers about why they thought the ex-girlfriend was involved in the story. The footage in this docuseries is incredible. They have a lot of the original interviews in addition to new interviews, but it must have been grueling for Aaron to watch himself going through this crisis. And at times in a fetal position in an interrogation room. Yeah, I use that exact word, grueling, when I talk to them. I didn't want to put words in their mouth, but I was like, it feels grueling. Even just Denise's interview process, going through this horrible trauma that happened to her. He also experienced a trauma while she was gone and then after she came back. And being interrogated for hours by law enforcement, having them basically kind of mess with your mind to try and get you to confess to something you didn't do, that they both acknowledge is an equal trauma. So both of them were coming through this experience with... So many emotions, so much frustration, the sense of being gaslit, but also trying to get to the truth themselves or hoping that someone would help them do so. It really is, Amanda, a mixed view of a police department. On the one hand, you have this Vallejo police department who, as you say, are trying to create the sensational narrative that matches a blockbuster novel and a movie. And then you have a very hardworking officer who goes by a string of blonde hair in order to connect this crime to another string of crimes that have happened in California. Yeah, so Sergeant Misty Caruso, she kind of let them remember and believe that there are people out there who are doing their jobs the right way in law enforcement and do follow clues. And essentially, one person did the work that an entire department had neglected to do for a very long time. And when she was able to put those pieces together, I mean, obviously, if she hadn't done that, then their story would have been completely different. Who knows what would have happened and who knows what the Vallejo Police Department would have been able to convince themselves of. And when you say one person did the work, it's worth noting 
saying one woman did the work because it is important throughout the series to see how this group of police, all of whom are men, never believe a woman's story. And the directors Felicity Morris and Bernadette Higgins did the Tinder swindler before they did this series. And there is a through line there in the way that women's stories are not believed, in the way that women's stories are dismissed as that can't possibly be true. That's an interesting through line that I hadn't necessarily picked up on through the Tinder Swindler, which is that in that docuseries, the women did all the work as well to figure out who had been victimizing them. I think there's the matter of the police officer, Sergeant Misty Caruso. She was the woman that we're talking about, the police officer that was able to put the pieces together and her trying to ring the alarm and be like, hey, something's going on here. I'm, I'm putting this together all by herself and kind of being blown off at first by Vallejo PD. And then, of course, Denise's story, which is unfortunately all too common, how she experienced trauma, how she was victimized and having police be like, OK, but actually we think it might be this other thing that we've put together in our heads and the frustration of that for sure. And also, is she crazy? At times you're watching and you're thinking that Denise Huskins was re-traumatized over and over and over by the people who are paid to protect her. According to Denise and Aaron, they've healed, they're moving forward, they're using this and their platform and now with the documentary, even larger platform to get their story out there and make sure it doesn't happen again to anybody else or at least try to prevent it. At the same time, they never really got full accountability for what happened with Vallejo Police Department, with Matt Mustard, who was the detective on the case. They both described him as the type of person who, once he gets an idea in his head, he cannot be wrong. And it's not as if they're being re-traumatized every day, but it is something that they carry with them because there will never be total accountability for this couple. Jessica, I want to even put a finer point on that. Denise admits to being a three-time survivor of sexual assault, which takes so much bravery to do so in such a public forum. And when they ask Aaron and others, is she a survivor of sexual assault? They use far more crass language than that. And they say that because some victims like to reenact their sexual assaults and get off on it, and it's so offensive and horrible and re-traumatizing, Jessica, as you said. The fact that they've captured this footage was really powerful and I hope will shine a light on what some police officers are capable of. As the police department, they're in the position of power. So therefore, they can do whatever it takes to fit that square peg into a round hole, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it requires endless mental gymnastics to get there, because no one's questioning them. They're in charge, essentially. They can do whatever they want. And I think that was one of the interesting things that Aaron said. I was like, what do you think this was with Matt Mustard, with the Vallejo PD? Do you think this was self-interest? Do you think this was, I said before, tunnel vision? And his simple answer was because they could. Yeah. The extent to which people wanted to connect this story to Gillian Flynn's book and the subsequent movie cannot be understated. The number of headlines that had the Gone Girl case, the news anchors that talked about it, it was a very neat package. It was press ready and it was front and center and it didn't take into account, A, the truth and B, the damage on people's lives. Amanda, for the folks who were enraptured by The Tinder Swindler, which came out in 2022 and was a huge hit, we mentioned that it's the same directors. What are some of the through lines between the two projects that people who might have enjoyed The Tinder Swindler will be captivated by this? I think this is the kind of documentary where every revelation, every turn of the story is more jaw-dropping than the last. You kind of can't believe 
the turns it takes, which I remember watching the Tinder Swindler and I felt the same way. I was like, wait, what? This is not where I expected the story to go. The Tinder Swindler, the victims in the story, the women in the story, the survivors of that person, they got some level of vindication. I don't necessarily know if Denise and Aaron feel like they're vindicated in their story, but I do know that Denise is incredibly strong and inspiring. And I think that if you find yourself drawn to stories about women protecting themselves, speaking for themselves, staying strong in the face of a lot of pushback and blame, you'll find this definitely interesting. She's very, very brave and she's very empathetic. And I'm glad she's able to get her story out there. It is an absolutely fascinating series. American Nightmare is streaming now. And I want to thank Amanda Richards so much for joining us. And everyone can read her coverage of the series and her interview with Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn, the subjects of this series on todoom.com. Thank you so much for having me. American Nightmare is out now and Love on the Spectrum season two is out tomorrow. New episodes of Now on Netflix are released every Thursday. And next week, we'll be previewing the new limited series Griselda starring Sofia Vergara and season eight of Queer Eye. Follow now on Netflix for more, available wherever you get your podcasts.